my uh, some friends in the in our Twitter chat last night. We were talking about wives, and I go, "You guys have never seen a picture of my wife, right?" And they go, "No." So I start looking through my phone. Are they all of me? They're all of you. <laughs> it's like I got no pictures of my wife in here. They're all of you. It's your, your work wife. Yeah, I'm your work wife. This episode may contain an abundance of adult language and unsupervised children. So, hey, you guys, we're talking about movies, salty hates. Welcome back to another episode of the Salty Nerd Podcast. No, your ears do not deceive you. I am your adventure host, Jude Juju. Today on the pod, we're talking about the never-ending story, Labyrinth, and what list of movies that Salty hates would be complete without talking about The Goonies. Walking the plank with me today are my pals, Pirate Viking, Matt Vader 74. How are you today, mate? I'm a pirate today. <laughs> I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm completely with speechless because <laughs> she threw me off guard with that one Arr. and my treasure and booty <laughs> matthew kadish are you ready to play the bones with me today sir baby ruth <laughs> yes i'm very ready wonderful and last but certainly not least returning guest and wanted member of the fratelli gang jj are you ready to never say die yeah thanks for calling me <laughs> the pinch hit <laughs> so Salty's out of town this week getting outsmarted by a bunch of kids, so I'll be wearing the host hat today. And I am so excited for this list. We have three awesome 80s movies to talk about. Well, but before we get into this, uh, let me just say that uh, it's very rare that we would get to watch these movies if Alex was still here to, yeah. to record. I'm, I'm kind of wishing he was here. Yeah, so like he gave us a, <laughs> a two weeks notice that him and his family were going on vacation and so we decided to take the opportunity to basically talk about movies that he would never allow us to talk about <laughs> exactly. on this podcast, uh, because Alex is well known for hating movies that involve children, especially children adventure films, kind of like, uh, you know, The Goonies is a great example. Mm -hmm. He's famous for hating The Goonies. It's kind of what Who hurt him? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Of all the movies that we're going to talk about, he hates The Goonies? Yeah. He hates yeah. The Goonies the most. He has gone on record as having said he hates The Goonies multiple times. Uh, Alex and I, are, we're going to have to work this out because <laughs> yes. that's the one I love the most. Yeah. yeah, it's the one we all love the most. But it's funny because if if there's anyone out there listening who um, wants to get Alex's take on the Goonies, if they go to my um, YouTube channel, which is kadishvideo.com, I'll take you right there. Are you really going to plug stuff right now? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I did a I did a out, like two hour review of the Goonies yeah. along with uh, Alex and uh, another uh, host, Anthony Ergo, uh, who's a young adult author. And uh, basically just search for uh, RTR Goonies uh, review on YouTube and you can find it. And basically Alex gives all of his reasons why he absolutely hates this movie and thinks it's terrible. And <laughs> by the end of the review, he actually convinced Anthony that the movie wasn't as good as he remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex can be uh, persuasive for weak minds, I Contagious suppose. Contagious hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is our opportunity to talk about movies that Alex absolutely despises and there were certain requirements for them, weren't there? There's like, he doesn't like stuff about the occult. He doesn't like stuff about demon possession. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like- He hates- Kids. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, ha he hates movies about smart kids. About kids who go on adventures who are more resourceful and smarter than they should be. Mm -hmm. Like he wants kids to be stupid. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> who wants to watch that movie? I, I, I don't know. Seth Rogen fans? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Salty does. 
because he's always ta- he's always complaining about how kids never act realistic in movies. Well, he's he's not wrong. He gets very annoyed when a kid can outsmart an adult in a movie. Yeah, like the whole Fratelli thing, like the the Goonies outdoing the Fratellis constantly. Well, before we get to Goonies, we need to talk about the labyrinth. And before we talk about labyrinth, we need to listen to a word from our sponsors. Hail nerds. You're listening to a special segment I like to call the Sultry Nerd Podcast. <laughs> so, so we're the Sultry Nerd Podcast yeah. now? Sultry Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get well, my... hello there. Yeah. <laughs> now I know why you called me. <laughs> if you want to be best friends, join our Patreon at SaltyNerdClub.com and receive exclusive content, swag, and our appreciation for helping support the podcast. Yeah, talking about Sultry Nerds, uh, Jennifer Conley. Hello. Yeah, so that's my question. I have a... Uh, Questions for around the table. What, uh, how many of you had or have a crush on Jennifer, Jennifer Conley? Oh, man. Totally. And did it start <laughs> with this movie? It started with this movie, yeah. and it still burns yeah, it very, does. You know she's very 16 strong. in this movie. Yes. Okay. And, and I think she's like in her 50s now, and she looks almost exactly the same. I was 17 when this movie came out. I have zero problems. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching this movie at my grandmother's house and just like falling in love. I, I was like, I was like, my God, this girl is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, she, but she, um, she she's also it. awful. <laughs> she doesn't do much for me. She, you're right. Vader likes his As a person, she's a terrible person in this <laughs> yeah. movie. In this that's movie. the point, right? That's the point of the movie. Yeah, so if nobody has, if you, if you have not watched The Labyrinth, it's about a really awful drama queen teenage bitch older sister who gets her brother kidnapped by David Bowie. <laughs> and uh, she has to enter The Labyrinth to find him and she has 13 hours to do it. Yeah, the labyrinth that leads to the Goblin King's castle. Yeah. So uh, this movie came out in 1986. It was rated PG with a runtime of one hour, 41 minutes. It had a budget of 25 million. What do you think it brought in in the box? 40. What do you think, JJ? Uh, 25. $25 million budget with a box bring in of 13.9 wow. million. It, was a it did not do well. And this was uh, Jim Henson's last live-action movie before he passed away. So he went out on a bit of a low note. Yeah, the soundtrack, though, is killer. <laughs> well, uh, you know, for all of us Star Wars fans, this was a George Lucas production. George Lucas came in and, and got this movie made. And, you know, like, I hadn't seen this since I was a kid. And so, like, when I was re-watching it for the podcast, I was actually really surprised at, like, the level of ingenuity and imagination that this movie had. Like, it doesn't hold up in terms of, like, story. Like, it, the story is very kind of, like, almost non-existent. And the opening of this movie is also very melodramatic. You know, it doesn't get off to a good start. But once she goes into, like, the goblin land and she's going through the maze and, like, you're meeting all these, like, crazy creatures and, and you know, obstacles and stuff like that, I was really impressed. I, I was like, I was like, this is, like, a cool fantasy It's production adventure. values hold up. Yeah, yeah. It, it really does. It does. And all of these stories, all three of these movies we're going to talk about, you know, they're, they're not aimed at people our age, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They're, they're supposed to be obviously allegorical, obviously metaphorical, right? Mm-hmm. So those, I don't know, I wouldn't hold these stories to a realistic standard, right? So I go in, even, I, I remember when this movie came out, even then I knew, hey, this is aimed at someone younger than, mm-hmm. than me when I first watched it. Yeah, it was aimed at people my age when this came out. Right. Because um, I think uh, what, what year this was 70, this was 86. 86. So I was like eight, <laughs> you know, when this movie <laughs> came out. Growing up, like I, I used to watch The Muppet Show every Saturday morning, you know, like it was, came on after the Smurfs. Raggle Rock. Yeah, exactly. 
And, uh, and so like I was a big Jim Henson fan and I can remember watching this on home video. Like, I don't think I went and saw this in the theater, but I can remember watching this on home video with my brothers and we were just captivated by it. And it's such a creative movie too. Like the ideas that were presented as we're watching it are just like so like unique and interesting to me. And uh, with the recent uh, kind of resurgence of the dark crystal on, on Netflix, mm -hmm. this movie, like it could be a contemporary film because like, there's not a whole lot of 80s stuff in it. Muppets. Creep me out. <laughs> Muppets. Did the goblins scare you, Vader? No. No. <laughs> no, I go, what is wrong with his hair? <laughs> well, you know, he, he looks like he uh, raided Tina Turner's closet. What I, what I see. Uh, David Bowie actually modeled his hair off of the lead singer of the guy who sang the uh, Neverending Story theme. Oh, really? Yeah, like like that was his thing. Where like he, I guess the Neverending Story came out a little bit before this movie, and so like that guy, hey, the guy who sings that song is a is a guy. Yeah, I thought it was a girl. No. Oh, he's the lead singer. <laughs> I know this. He's the lead singer of Kajagugu. Yeah, oh, wow. Kajagugu. Yeah. I didn't okay. know. How to, I didn't know how to pronounce it. I've never yeah. really. I've never really looked that deep into the yeah, whole, no. the but, whole thing. But the lead well, singer of Kajagugu had that, had that same uh, hairstyle, and Bowie was like, "I like that hairstyle. Can I have it for the Goblin King?" Yeah. And Jim Henson was like, "I guess. Yeah, yeah sure. whatever. Sure. You're right, though. It's a. Uh, it's a uh, David Bowie's package and the hair. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His package is it's legendary. Like, what, what's <laughs> happening right yeah, now? Yeah. His package okay. supersedes the hair. <laughs> And, you know, throughout the whole movie, I'm, I'm kind of on his side. I'm always on the bad guy's side, I know. But I'm kind of on his side because the baby looks very happy in the he Goblin does. City. He's like, yeah, this That is baby fun. was miserable in his crib at his home, especially with that bitch older I, sister. I never understood why we put our babies in jail for the first two years of their life. <laughs> just, just keep them from killing themselves. Just put them behind bars. No big deal. Mm -hmm. Have you seen in Scandinavian countries where the, those window boxes they put their babies in? I have not. So I'm not sure if this is still a habit, but it was a habit. Uh, a friend of mine grew up in Finland, and it was a habit in Scandinavia to uh, get your children used to the climate. And so you would leave your baby outside, not naked, I mean, obviously, <laughs> close. And they used to have boxes, these cages that sat right outside your window. So you could swaddle your baby mm -hmm. and then put it outside for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Take a nap. to this day, he tells me that uh, in, you know, in the cities in, in Finland, um, people walking their strollers who are shopping will just park the stroller outside the store with the baby in it and just go in and shop, and it's huh. no one thinks anything of it. Uh -huh. That's what you do. That's kind of crazy. I like it. Tough, toughen them up. So when they were casting this movie, Jim Henson, he really wanted like a musician to play the part of the Goblin King. And so the, the people that were considered before Bowie came on board uh, were Michael Jackson, Prince, and Mick Jagger. Hmm. Um, but oh, I, Jim, could, I could see Mick Jagger doing that. Well, Jim Henson actually really wanted Sting. That would have been good, yeah. too. But uh, his kids convinced him that David Bowie was, like, the guy to get because he was, like, at his, like, height of popularity. David Bowie. David Bowie. And so uh, Bowie was actually looking for something to do that was, like, more family-friendly around this time. I think he even... Um, like, you know, he was doing that weird, like, Christmas duet thing and uh, all that <laughs> other stuff. And so he, he was like, uh, he, he looked at the script, and the script was actually, the original draft of the script was a lot funnier than the movie turned out to be. And so he was like, hey, this is funny and cute, and, and it's going to have a lot of special effects, and I'm, I'm down for it. And uh, this script, like, went through, like, 25 different rewrites <laughs> uh, uh, before it, it got made wow. because 
there was so much time that they had to like spend making the the puppets and the sets and stuff for this. So there was like a lot of pre-production time. And during that time, they just kept tinkering with the script. And the original script was written by uh, one of the members of Monty Python. And so like he had, like he was the one who came up with all these crazy ideas based off of Brian Froud's um, illustrations, who's the guy who did all the dark crystal concept designs. And so uh, he just came up with all these set pieces, like, you know, like the helping hands and, you know, stuff like that, and threw them into the script based off of drawings that he'd seen from this guy. And uh, uh, the original script was very Monty Python-ish humor. Mm-hmm. And uh, throughout the development process, it, it went through like a lot of different drafts from a lot of different writers. And by the time they were almost ready to shoot, David Bowie looked at the script and he's like, this script sucks. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do this in, this movie anymore. And so uh, Jim Henson went back to the Monty Python guy and, and he was like, hey, can you like make the script funnier again? And he was like, sure. <laughs> and so like he did like one final rewrite on the script and they handed it over to Bowie and Bowie's like, yeah, I can live with this. Aw. Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah. Like, like this. Make movie, it funny. Yeah. Th- this movie went through a bunch of um, different phases of... Uh, you know, development, but uh, I, I think just, I just thought the whole thing was like a drug addled fever dream that <laughs> Jim Henson probably dreamt up one day because uh, I don't like this movie. When was the last time that you've seen it, Vader? Uh, I, I don't know if this is, this might be the first time I've ever seen it. I really? Don't know. Yeah. Okay. So you did not watch it in the right state no. of your life. When I was 16, which is what I was when this came out, um, I had zero interest in yeah. puppet movies. JJ, when was the last time you so. saw it? Uh, the last time I saw it? Yeah, prior uh, to watching prior it. Prior to watching it for this show, uh, it's been years. I actually took a date to this movie. Aw. Yeah. When like it when it came, came out? Yeah, when it came out. Hey, I was a Valley class of 86. Did she look like Jennifer Conley? No. If not, were you, <laughs> no. Were you very disappointed? Uh, no. no. <laughs> You're going to get me into trouble because I still know that girl. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I had, uh, this is my first, uh, as I said before, my first exposure to Jennifer Conley, and I've been a fan ever since. Yeah, it's kind of funny because she started off doing modeling uh, when she was like a child model, and then she graduated up to commercials, and this was her first, you know, breakout feature. And they'd been like auditioning a lot of different girls. I, I think Helena Bonham Carter was like the, the the favorite before Jennifer Connelly came in. But uh, yeah, she this was kind of like her first big. What a different movie this would have been if Helena Bonham Carter and Sting had been <laughs> I know, in, right? In, right? Those, in those roles. It would have been, nope, been fine. But you, you guys want to know what this movie was up against when it came out? Yes. So this was a summer release. It came out in June of 86. And it was a, up against The Karate Kid Part 2, oh. Back to School, oh. Legal Eagles, Ruthless People, Running Scared, Top Gun, oh. and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, oh. man. This movie no. didn't have a chance. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> it's like... Number five movie. They should have pushed, it, pushed yeah. it for a December release. Yeah, the, it, it came out in a very crowded summer movie blockbuster season. You know, back when people went to movies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think it's it's stood up against the test of time as far as some of those movies. Um, but for, for me now, I don't think it holds up as well. I mean, there's, there's still like the whimsicalness that I appreciate that comes from having watched it as a kid and loving it. Yeah. There's still some things about it that I love. But for the most part... It's not the best. <laughs> well, you know, originally in, in one of the earlier versions of the script, there was a lot of setup where, you know, this movie opens up with her out in the field kind of rehearsing for a play that she's in. And in earlier drafts of the script, uh, it's clear that her, her real mother was a famous actress. And so, like, she, she wants to be an actress just like her mom. 
her mom left her family to go run off with a famous rock star. And if you look at her, uh, her room, there's a picture of her mom there, but there's also a picture of her mom with David Bowie, like the real David Bowie. And oh. so the idea that the Goblin King looks like David Bowie is like uh, uh. an extension because like all, all the people that she meets in the labyrinth. That's a, that's a pretty deep cut, dude. <laughs> well, well, all the people that she meets in the labyrinth, she has dolls and, and knickknacks in her room that represent these things. And so the labyrinth is basically just a construction of her imagination mm-hmm. because she's like such a creative young person. And uh, this, this movie, uh, do you guys know uh, where the wild things are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie was actually based off of a, a book that was created by the guy who did where the wild things are. It was called outside over there. And I, th- I think the guy's name was uh, Maurice Sendak. Sendak. Yeah. yeah. And so like uh, basically like uh, this book outside over there, it's kind of like about a young girl who goes into a fantastical world to find her baby sister who's been spirited away by goblins. And Henson used this as kind of like the jumping off point for, you know, what he wanted to make this movie about. Yep. And so a lot of this stuff was based off of like Syndax's kind of ideas. And what's the name of like the big like ogre monster thing that Ludo? she finds? Ludo. That thing, that Ludo guy is right out of yeah. where the wild things are. Smell bad. <laughs> <laughs> Hoggle flat. <laughs> yeah, and, and Hoggle was like a... Represented her stepmother? No. Um, <laughs> the, the Hoggle character, though, it was like the most advanced like live action puppet that was ever created. Cause like the head of the hoggle, which is like this weird, like dwarf kind of guy uh, that be, that's like Jennifer Conley's sidekick throughout the movie. Um, it had like some, something like 37 motors in its head. There wasn't a, like a person in there. There was, okay. there was a person, but like they didn't control the face. There was okay. actually a team of five people controlling like the, the hoggle head. And oh. like one person had the eyes, one person had the mouth, one person had the cheeks and, hmm. and stuff like that. And so they all had to work in concert with one another. Yeah, but- in addition to this, like, um, you know, uh, dwarf woman who was playing the body. How very being John Malkovich. I know, right? It was, <laughs> it was crazy. Did the uh, Dark Crystal come out before or after this? The, the original Dark Crystal came out before this. Okay. So I they probably. That was like very early 80s. They probably used some of the same tech they used for him as they did on that movie. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. I would think, there. yeah. I don't think it, it advanced that much. In the- no. No, we're probably just talking a year or two, right? So, between the movies. Oh, I don't know. I, oh, no, that, I want to say a- Dark Crystal was very early 80s, this, and this is 86. Yeah, well, I, I think Dark Crystal might have been 81. 80, yeah. I was thinking 82. 81, 82. Yeah, I'm so, right because like, like I said, like the pre-production for this movie took a long time. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. But uh, uh, can, can we talk 82. about- Dark Crystal. Yeah. Can we talk about Bowie's, you know, Try, pa- package? I've been trying to talk his about unit? his dick for <laughs> yeah. 45 minutes now. Well, yeah. you must, I guess. <laughs> yeah. How's, how's the man meat in this movie, dude? So juicy. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, um, I mean, on a scale of one to extreme, it's very extreme. <laughs> like, I, I just can't help but wonder, like, how did no one notice this while they were filming? Oh, they noticed. I mean, <laughs> you think so? Yo, they all noticed. I can't help but wonder... Was it, is that just what it is? I think at some point it's not an accident, right? I mean, it's, it's so there that it had to be at some point. Like was part of that bulge uniform or is that just David Bowie? Well, well maybe he, maybe he was the model for Batman. I mean, are there a couple of goblins you? in there? For, 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 the, for those of you who, who might not be in on this. So like David Bowie as the Goblin King in this movie He's wearing these very tight gray breeches. 
And Rich, there's spandex. Breeches or like whatever, they're pants. But, Pardon uh, me, sir. Do you have any breeches for sale? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so, I need my breeches extra tight. <laughs> so, so like for whatever reason around the crotch area, um, th- there's not a lot of breathing room. Please, please explain it to us, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like his... David Bowie's package is just like every every time you see it, like there's there's no mistaking what it is. Yeah, like you can see the form. Yeah, yeah. And when I said it was the elephant in the room, I meant literally. (laughs) Yes, salty. We're talking about David Bowie's junk. There's a a baby elephant in this man's pants. I think he was enhancing. It's like the scene out of Spinal Tap where he's like, we've got all modillos in our trousers <laughs> and the women are screaming. This guy has a small elephant in his pants. Okay. And its trunk is well, looking I'm never at me. watching this movie. And, and it never forgets. Yeah, between David Bowie's hair and his package, it's uh, quite- You don't know what to look at. Yeah. You'd think with that package, you wouldn't have to steal any kids. <laughs> just have it though. So all the goblins are kids that he stole, right? Is that how it is? I, Yeah, I think so. Something like that. That was the impression I got, is the baby was supposed to turn into a gob. Look how happy he looks. So we're, we're watching it with the volume off right now while we're talking, and the baby looks very happy. He's dancing with the goblins. Yeah, that baby uh, was actually the um, actual son of the conceptual artist, Brian Froud. Uh, they, they just, you know, he had just had a baby, and they were like, why don't we just put your baby in yeah. the movie? And he was like, okay. Some- I wonder if that, <laughs> so that kid has grown up now. I wonder if he's got any uh, labyrinth PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> so well, he probably hates this movie. It was funny because they had to name the character Toby because that was his real name. And he wouldn't <laughs> respond to like you know, you know fake names, and uh, I think Jim Henson said like uh, one of the rules of directing is never work with kids, animals, or puppets. And he was <laughs> and he was like this movie I worked on, I worked with all of them, and uh, I'll never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Retire. Yeah, yeah, but it, it was a shame. Like this was uh, Brian or Jim Henson's uh, last. Uh, feature film you know who knows what he could have come up with had he continued to live i'm sure he had some uh stuff on the drawing board well this was really george lucas's baby like he he was you know like frank oz and all those guys like george lucas was a part of that crew and and lucas was really responsible for getting this movie made and championing jim henson's vision it's kind of funny like when they uh, did the final cut of this movie right when you know the, the director gets his cut George Lucas started his career as an editor. He was uh, Francis Ford Coppola's editor, basically. So George Lucas was in the editing room when this movie was being kind of finalized. And Lucas has a very distinctive editing style where he he doesn't like a lot of uh, time in between dialogue. So he he makes his movies very fast-paced in terms of like how he cuts the film. And uh, he came in and basically trimmed, I think, like seven minutes off this movie just in the editing room. And... uh, Brian Henson was like, well, I mean, he's George Lucas, so okay. <laughs> so it was, we'll the, it. there were just a lot more shots of her just wandering around the maze or something? Uh, no, yeah. it, it's more like, you know, like I think uh, Jim Henson described it as he liked to take his time with the scenes. And so like there was a little bit more time in between like people responding to one another just to kind of like linger on the dialogue and stuff like that. And George Lucas came in and was like, nope, just like start cutting the, the stuff to make it like a little bit snappier. George Lucas was probably correct in this. I don't know. I just, I feel like it's visually better than it is listening to it. Like, uh, as I'm watching it, the dialogue, I'm like, this dialogue is kind of it's terrible. Hokey. It's not good. Yeah. It's, hokey, yeah. it's not good at all. But, like, watching it, I'm like, the door knockers, those are cute and adorable. And, and like, all of the little creatures. And, and I think that it would have 
I don't know that it would have like made a hell of a lot of difference seven minutes, but I just think it's it's a better movie to look at than it is to listen to. What's the actual running time of this? One hour, 41 minutes, I think. So I think, I mean, uh, I didn't know the story that you just told about uh, George Lucas editing it, but I think that given the kind of target demographic of this movie, 90 minutes is asking a lot mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for uh, anyone under the age of 10, right? So I think that my experience with movies that are targeted that demographic to, to young kids is 90 minutes is kind of a hard line you don't want yeah. to cross. I agree. Yeah. It's a hard line. I don't like to cross personally. I, I think that was one of the <laughs> issues with um, Jim Henson, though, is like um, the movies that he made, they were kind of meant for people of all ages. And so they were trying to appeal to adults and kids with his movies. And I think that they probably would have been better had they just done kids. Yeah. I think movies have gotten better since then in doing that, like yeah. in, in creating movies that appeal to both. But at this time, I think it was probably not a success. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so George Lucas was basically coming off of Star Wars when this movie came out. And uh, he didn't want to do any publicity for it because um, he didn't want to overshadow Jim Henson. Like he wanted this to be Jim Henson's like, coming out as like a big time director type movie. And I think that that, that might've been a mistake in hindsight, because I think George Lucas probably could have given this movie a much needed boost at the box office had he done publicity for it. George, George Lucas was probably getting ready to dive into like Willow about this time. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know when Willow came, came out. I don't remember, but uh, you know, he was definitely doing a lot of like kind of fantasy mm-hmm. oriented stuff around this time. But uh yeah, the puppetry in, in this movie, like uh, um, we got it playing in the studio and we just got past the helping hands scene where basically Jennifer Connelly's character is falling down this like shaft and all these hands kind of like reach out from nowhere and like yeah, gra- super, gra- grab super, her. Super weird. Yeah. And like the hands all come together and form faces that talk to her. And like I was watching that, I was like, man, that's, that's so original. Like I've never seen that in any other movie, you know, like it was just, it was a really cool moment, I thought. And this movie's full of stuff like that, where it's just like really cool moments um, that are kind of strung together in a way that's not ideal. <laughs> um, but like, like, what was the the bog of stench or something like that? Never ending stench. Of never ending stench. Smell bad. <laughs> Smell bad. <laughs> like when we were watching it, we were watching it with our kid, and uh, I t- I turned to him and I was like, "Look, the swamp's farting." <laughs> <laughs> and it's full of buttholes. It's full of buttholes. I think farts are very hilarious. Yeah. Well, farts are hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I think it's called the bog of eternal stench. And honestly, growing up, that that stuck with me. Yeah. Like every time I would like walk through a puddle, I'd be like, oh, the bog of eternal stench. <laughs> if I touch it with my jaw, stink forever. Like that stayed with me. Yeah, I think uh, that was Prince Charles' favorite scene because mm-hmm. uh, they, they, they screened this movie in the UK because that's where it was shot. And uh, Prince Charles uh, apparently laughed his butt off at the <laughs> bog of eternal stench. Like, that was his favorite uh, scene in this movie. But the, all, all the different characters in, in the film are, like, really interesting to me. Like, uh, what was the name of that, like, weird fox knight? Sir Didymus. Sir Didymus, yes. Like, uh, I really liked him. He was pretty funny. Uh, he Who's was, your favorite character in this? Is it Jen- Jennifer Conley? I, I don't really like her character all that <laughs> She's much. awful. Yeah, but, um, you know, she's very nice to look at. Um I think Sir Didymus was probably my favorite yeah. be, be, because he, he was like so like such, such a caricature of like an, uh, an English knight. <laughs> Blindingly brave. He, he kind of reminded me of Don Quixote in a way. What about you, Vader? Who's your favorite character in this? I don't know. I didn't like this movie. <laughs> so the Goblin King? Maybe, no. Goblin I, King's I, package. I'm not a Bowie fan. Is I David just, Bowie's I'm, package your favorite thing? About no, not even, not even remotely close. 
Um, maybe the grumpy little goblin dude. Or, or like, hoggle. Or, yeah, maybe. Yeah, this Hoggle. Yeah, they, hoggle. Kept, they, they kept getting his name wrong. Yeah. It's like Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah. What about yeah, you, I think, JJ? I oh, I like him. Hoggle. I like Hoggle a lot. I, I, I'm, I was affectionate toward him when I watched the movie. Uh, so I don't have anything else to go over with this. Do you have anything else? Um, you know, I, I like we're, we're looking at the uh, warning signs um, section right now where there are all these faces carved in the stones and they're just telling her not to do stuff, like beware. And you don't know if they're like real or not. Go back. <laughs> <laughs> beware. Yeah. Jude, never ask him if he has more to add. <laughs> we'll be here for all day. I live with him. <laughs> well, uh, did, did you know Kenny Baker was in this movie? He was one of the machine oh, gun sure. goblins, and yeah. uh, it was it was kind of funny because like uh, special effects wise, this movie was like very practical. In fact, the opening scene with like the owl that's flying around that was the first photorealistic computer generated animal in cinema oh, cool. history because they actually use computers to create that. Um, but every time David Bowie's on screen, like he's doing this like stuff with like these uh, orbs with his hand where he's like kind of doing this crazy mm-hmm. like juggling stuff. And at first I, w- I was like that, that's gotta be a special effect, but they actually had like a professional juggler who was like behind Bowie and he'd like just have his arm out and he'd be the one doing like this stuff blind. And like, he, he'd just be like juggling these, yeah. these like crystal balls, um, you know, blind behind David Bowie. And they just shot it in a way where you couldn't see the juggler. And I, I was like, man, like that, that's a really cool practical effect. You know, like you don't see that in movies anymore. It's all like CGI. So going around the table, the table, um, how would you rate this Vader? Um, it wasn't for me, mm-hmm. but, but it wasn't made for me at 51 years old. Uh, so I give it like a two to, uh, you know, little kid. Me, two out of five. Two out of five. Little well, kid. Me might've given it a three. Okay. Two so. out of five. What goblins? Yeah. Okay. Nope. <laughs> what about you? Goblin JJ? orbs. <laughs> I'd, give, I'd give it a little more slack. I'd give it more three, three out of five goblins. Okay. Kadish? I'd give it three out of five Bowie packages. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> units. I, you, you know, I was surprised at how much I, I enjoyed this movie on the rewatch because I don't remember liking it very much as a kid. I was just kind of like impressed with Jennifer Conley, I think, when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, like rewatching it, I, I, I'm just astounded at the imagination behind this movie. Like this is the type of stuff that I feel is is what brings magic to cinema. Where like you like it for how it was made, not just how it was made, but also like the ideas behind it. Like I love like kind of quest movies uh, where like kids are like the ones going through the journey and they're learning about how to how to become adults and how to become heroes and you know, things like that, like, I, I feel like those are good, like, modern mythology things for people, just in general, whether you're young or old, but, um, like, the imagination that went into this movie with, like, all the different set pieces and the characters and the setting and, you know, um, just, like, everything that went into this movie, I was very impressed by, and I think that they don't make movies like this anymore, sure. and, and, and that's a real shame. Yeah, for me, um, there's something that stays with me for the n- nostalgic sake. So for me, it's it's a, a three out of five uh, dance magic dances. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have a point. I, I think that given the richness of the production and the richness of the material that uh, this movie is made from, I think nowadays this movie would be a series. It would be a series yeah, on Netflix or you. something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, ex- especially considering like the amount of work that went into this. But like the, the puppeteering in this movie was... Like I watched the behind the scenes featurette on this, which you can find on YouTube, and they would have like, I don't know, like twenty five different puppeteers in like one shot, uh, doing this stuff. We didn't even talk about like the the fire crew or like whatever those 
weird little dancing goblins who can th- take their heads off and toss them to one well, another. They're not stuff my like favorite. That. They give me the creeps. No, but like <laughs> like each one of those required like three different puppeteers to like operate. Yeah, those were weird. Yeah, uh, it was. But I think the biggest thing was like that weird monolithic iron like golem thing that uh, when they get to the castle at the end, uh, these doors close and then like this robot is a symbol and he just steps out and he like He's tries like a to like, soldier. Kill him. Yeah, I, I forget what they called him, but um, like the fact that that was a practical effect where like these doors close and then this beast, just this giant robot thing mm-hmm. just kind of steps out and starts fighting them. That was super impressive to me. I was like, wow, that was really well done. I wonder how they did that. So yeah, th- this movie was just ingenuity wise was off the charts in my opinion. I think it could have done with a better story. Yeah, and better dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's move on and up to Never Ending Story. But before we do, why don't we refresh our beverages? And while we do that... You can listen to the soothing sounds of these sponsors. Thanks for hanging in there with us during that break. Hey, real quick, if you need some cool merch with nerdy inside jokes on them, go to our store at saltynerdstore.com and get yourself geared up with shirts, hats, masks, and mugs, and uh, pick yourself out something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, we've got uh, all types of cool shirts. In fact, we're wearing some of them right now. Yeah. Uh, Vader's got the Jackie Daytona shirt on, which is from our What We Do in the Shadows episode. And uh, we've also got a lot of really funny, you know, stuff uh, up there. So Bat Rat Spider Crab, I think that's my favorite shirt. <laughs> I like our 80s tits. <laughs> yeah, 80s tits. Uh, Jude wears that one quite often. I do. Um, and uh, if you guys don't want to join our Patreon or don't want to buy anything from, from our merch store, please consider leaving us a review. Um, you know, that's something free you can do that helps us out a lot. So more than welcome to do that. All right, so 1984 never-ending story. So this is about a young, imaginative boy named Bastion who flees from school bullies into a bookstore where he finds a book called The Never-Ending Story. And the book draws the reader into the story of a world under attack from the nothing, and only Bastion can save this world. So this was rated PG with a runtime of 1 hour 42 minutes. It had a budget of $27 million. Vader, what do you think it brought in? I'm always wrong, so I'm going to go the opposite of what I said okay. and say this probably flopped and made like 13, 14 million. JJ? I think this movie was a hit. <laughs> probably. I <was>. think <laughs> it was. So I think this movie was a hit. So you said how much? 20? $27 million budget. Double it. So $54 million. $100 million. Vader, God, your oh, streak I continues. I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> Terrible at this game. Terrible. So, Vader, how old were you when you first saw this movie? This came out in 84. Did you watch it when you were a kid, or is this Um, a first-time watch for you? No, I've watched this movie several times, but I don't remember when the first time was. It was probably at some... I don't don't even know. I I don't even remember when it would be. I have no clue. Again, this probably wasn't exactly... I wasn't probably the demographic that they were shooting for for this this movie. Because you were probably, what, an early teen? I was 14. Yeah, okay. Um, JJ, do you have kids? No, I don't. Okay. So um, when was the last time that you watched this? Uh, it had been a while. I, this is another one that I saw in the theater and that I took a date to. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, did yeah. Any, did any of these ever work out for you? <laughs> well, uh, did they ever? <laughs> but uh, Define but, workout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're going to. Uh, we'll talk about that in the Goonies. <laughs> um, I actually have some. Uh, this is uh, of all the movies we're talking about this is the one that's most overtly allegorical and the one that i have gone back to and watched for whatever reason the most Mm -hmm. other than just catching the goonies on tv right Uh, this one doesn't get played on tv very much yeah i feel like i watched this for me 
Like not, I, I mean, we watched it with our six-year-old, but I, I watched, I just watched this by myself because I love it. It is a good movie. It's a very good movie. When was the last time you watched it, Kadish? Oof. God, decades. Really? Yeah, like like this isn't like a regular watch for me. I think last time I saw this was when I was a kid. I remember like watching the sequel and not liking the sequel, so I just kind of gave up on everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like upon rewatch, I, I was I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm getting some good nostalgic feelings yeah. off of this thing. I, uh, I had the opposite effect. I had really good memories of this movie from when I was younger. And of the three movies that we've watched for this show today, this one hit the worst. Oh, really? Yeah. Even worse than Labyrinth. Yeah. I mean, Labyrinth well, was okay. It was, but this movie, I just, I don't know. It was, it just seemed really super weird all of a sudden. You know, and it's probably been 10 years since I've seen this movie, but it, it just came off really weird. And I, hmm. I, I don't know why. I, I have no idea why I think that now, but it just, it's, there's just something there that's not clicking with me anymore. And again, I'm old. <laughs> it's not for me. Um, but, you know, whatever. But I also think this is of the, this is the scariest movie for kids, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So that's what something I was going to say is like when I watch it for me, I just appreciate all the whimsicalness of it. And then when we were watching it with our six year old the other day, I was like, it's a little dark. You might want to close your eyes. This, this, this one gets a little sad I, when the horse dies. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs> watching, uh, you know, I think that, that scene where, uh, what's his name? Atrax? Artax. When Artax dies in, in the swamp of infinite sadness, that broke so many children yeah. growing up. Like, like I remember crying my eyes out when yeah. I first saw that. I was like, the horse. Oh, is I had dying. a date, and I had to be kind of, you know, like <laughs> actually kind of choking up. Like, I, I, some got in my eye because <laughs> it it came out of. The, I wasn't familiar with the book that it's mm-hmm. that it's from, mm-hmm. so I wasn't familiar with the story at all. So that came literally out of the blue. You know, the the, the horse is steed dying. Yeah, and then the wolf at the end yeah. where he's got like the glowing eyes and he's talking to the kid and he's got that scary voice. And then they like show the the what is that like a piece of stone or a dagger or something that he kills him with. Yeah, that's a little dark to show a kid. Like <laughs> here's the pro, pro, protrudence that killed this wolf. Yeah, the the book this is based on isn't actually like a children's book. Um the the author Michael Ende, uh, in fact, he he was so unhappy with uh, how the film turned out that he uh wanted uh, to have his name taken off it and he wanted them to change the title because he was like you know like you completely changed my my story in fact he even went so far as to sue the the production company that was making this uh, to try to enforce these changes and you know he lost ultimately but like if you've ever read this book it's it's very different like uh, bastion in the book he's like a fat ostracized kid and basically he gets pulled into the story and he meets the childlike empress um, the first thing he does is he wishes that he was a good looking guy. Aww. And so like he changes his appearance and what uh, he doesn't know is that every time he makes a wish, he, he loses a piece of his memory. And so as he's making more and more wishes, rebuilding Fantasia, he becomes the villain and uh, basically Atreyu and Falcor have to team up in order to stop him. He's, he's the nothing. He's not the nothing. He, he becomes like a, a tyrannical bad guy. Oh, Interesting. And so, like, this movie ends at the halfway point of the book. So, like, they didn't do, like, the full book. And they decided to end it on, like, kind of a more upbeat thing. Yeah, uplifting. And, and the author was like, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, uh, but this was, like, the most expensive film ever produced outside of the United States and Russia. Uh, it was the most expensive film ever made in Germany at the time. And actually, this movie was originally shot in all German. So, all the English stuff is just dubbed in uh, in post-production. And you can kind of tell. Uh, well, Atreyu's voice sounds dubbed. 
Yeah. You can kind of tell, especially with the puppets, that like their mouths don't always match what they're saying in English. Um, They look like big, strong (laughs) hands. Yeah. But this this was another um, movie that I was really impressed with the imagination behind. And this was Wolfgang Peterson's first big budget American film uh, to be released in America. Because Wolfgang Peterson, uh, if you're not familiar with him, he did like a lot of big action movies like Air Force One and stuff like that. Um, but uh, before this, he had done this movie called Das, das Boot, which was uh, this epic World War II submarine drama. And uh, basically, he got a lot of acclaim off of that movie because it was a German production. And, uh, you know, he was kind of like the only filmmaker who was making exciting stuff in Germany at the time. And he actually, uh, when he was doing a promotional tour for Das Boot, he met Steven Spielberg in the States. And this isn't a widely known fact, but Steven Spielberg had a lot to do with the editing of this movie because basically after they had done their initial cut, Wolfgang Peterson went to Steven Spielberg and he was like, Hey, you know, I've never released a movie for American audiences before. Could you take a look at this film and, you know, maybe like make it more American. And so Spielberg was like, sure. And so like he basically took this movie and he used George Lucas's editing techniques to tighten it up and make it paced faster for American audiences. And when it the, feels tight. Yeah. And then yeah. when this became such a big hit, the United States, um, basically Wolfgang Peterson accredited Spielberg for helping to make that happen. So Spielberg and Lucas had their kind of fingers in this uh, as well, even though like they had nothing to do with the actual production of it. So huh. at the end of this movie, there's just one piece. There's a, a grain of sand left of the original Fantasia. Mm-hmm. And she gives it to Bastion for him to make a wish on. Is anybody else bothered by the fact that he didn't wish that his mom was still alive? Um, no. He just wished for a ride on a luck dragon? <laughs> well, well, he wished to get thought. back at his bullies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, which, I get, what I would you guys f- have wished for? I, I, I get the feeling. I, I have. I remember having that thought, and the the way the movie is built or feels is that wish is kind of beyond the pale. It just feels like that's right. that's not a wish you could wish for. Hmm. Right. I and don't know. I, don't I always know. thought that he named the princess after his mom. Oh, yeah. What is the name? That- yeah. It's kind of funny because no one knows. But, like, if, if you read the book, um, you know what the name is. The name is Moonchild. And if you listen to him shout out to, you know, the storm, you, you can hear him say it. But only if you know what he's saying. <laughs> so It like, sounds like, like clam chowder. Yeah. No, clam chowder! I, yeah, I, I don't know if it was like the language difference or like whatever, but like no one can ever tell yeah. what he's like No one's about. ever known what this name was. Yeah. We should also point out that Major Dad was his father. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. In the movie. <laughs> uh, Dabney Coleman. No, no, no I no. thought it was no. Dabney yeah. Coleman at first. Gerald McRaney. But uh, Gerald yeah, McCraney. Gerald McRaney was, was, played the father in this. Very young Gerald McRaney. But I share your disappointment in his wish. Thank you. He should have wished for something other. One million dollars. Okay, so yeah, that's my question. What would you? What would your first wish be? You want to ride on an on a lecture wagon? Oh, are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm looking at you. <laughs> my, my first wish would be Jennifer uh, Connelly. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I wish for a young nubile <laughs> David Bowie package. I can show off me to everyone. Too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, JJ. JJ died. <laughs> Trying not to spit up his drink. He was in mid-drink when Jude said that. Oh dear. I've always wanted to do a helicopter. Oh, um, so you know that that amulet, uh, Erwin. The Orwin, Orin. Or, or, yeah, Orin. Orwin. The the amulet that uh, um, Atreyu has. 
So uh, Steve, uh, Wolfgang Peterson gave that as a gift to Steven Spielberg for helping him out with the movie. And Spielberg still has it framed in his office Aww. to this day. Yeah. Vader, what would you wish for? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I hate, the, I hate questions like that. He, he, he's like, he, uh, he wishes he'd never get asked those questions. Billion dollars. <laughs> uh, you know that scene where like they all, all the mystical creatures of Fantasia gather to ask the Empress for help. Um, there's actually like a lot of stuff like hidden in there. Like uh, you got C-3PO, Chewbacca, um, Mickey Mouse, Gumby. And now um, I got to go back and look. Yeah. And, and the, idea- all I see is giant heads and four headed, four faced people. <laughs> <laughs> so weird, man. It's like another drug-addled fever dream. Yeah, scene. the multiple-faced people freak me out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but all, all these things are hidden in there because the idea behind it was that because Fantasia is filled with objects of imagination, all these famous characters like Yoda and stuff like that yeah. uh, gather at this this gathering um, to implore the childlike empress to save Fantasia. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little Easter egg. I love all the different, um, I don't even know what to call them, characters or people beings i i, I love them the the, the diversity yeah. of the, the, the rock biter yes i liked him yeah i love the the guy with the bat my stupid bat <laughs> <laughs> the racing snail the racing snail i love yeah. it uh, apparently uh noah hathaway well apparently he was just very hard to work with oh really yeah wolfgang peterson um had like a really difficult time pulling a good performance out of him i think uh peterson even said that like you know he was like kind of miscast and Oh yeah, well, he was a, he was a big star, was he? <laughs> no. yeah. He should have hired he played, a uh, he played Boxy on uh, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they should have hired Atreyu the warrior, not Atreyu the child. Well, in the book, Atreyu is, is like this green little like elf almost, and uh, they initially did tests to paint uh, you know Noah Hathaway green, and uh, apparently he looked like a piece of broccoli. <laughs> So they're, they're like, no, like, this isn't good. We're just going to have him be, like, normal. Should have went with it. But I would have I kept him green. That would have been fun. <laughs> well, good thing you weren't directing this thing. Yeah. This well, was actually. It would have been way better. This was actually, the, like, the, the biggest movie in Germany at the time. Like, five million people in Germany went to see this movie. Yeah, and that's unheard of yeah. for German five, audiences yeah. to flock to a movie. Yeah, they're very efficient. <laughs> Vader, what would you have made this movie about? How I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Just, you just said like it'd be good. I'd, I'd make him green. <laughs> make everyone green. Yeah. <laughs> green wolf. Green, I would. I would let Artax storm. live. Um, well, Artax did eventually live. He, yeah. he came back. I guess he got wished back, didn't he? So. Yeah. No, I, I. Again, man, I, I'm. I definitely think the luck you know, dragon should have been green. I'm kind of almost. Luck is green. I'm kind of upset we even did this week, because I'm beginning to understand why uh, Salty hates these movies. <laughs> I'm being swayed. I'm that's not a problem. <laughs> but uh I, I, I found these movies hard to get through. And really? Yeah, I really did. And I don't know if it's because I sit there and watch them by myself I was late just at night say. Or, or what, but if, if my maybe if my grandkids were here and I watched them with them, you did seeing, the thing it, the seeing salt- it through their nine and ten year old eyes. Maybe it would be a little different. You did the thing that Salty does when he hates a movie and he watches it by himself, and he's like, "I should have watched it with with people." Maybe, maybe, but you know, um, my kids, my, my, my grandkids are old man. Yeah, my grandkids are a thousand miles away, and and this these movies are for them. They're not for me, and. Um, it was hard for me to get through this movie. Hmm. Are they though? They, they, they are. I, I mean, like when we, we talk about Labyrinth, we talk about David Bowie's package and with this, like 
How buxom were those sphinxes? Oh, the sphinxes. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> they, were, they, they were showing like full topless. I think I was more shocked now than I was when I first saw it because I'd forgotten about that, right? Yeah. And then suddenly they're there. I'm like, it's like, oh, the sphinxes are cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the big old boobies on the sphinxes with like the nipples. Um, Again, soundtrack. I don't, I don't feel <laughs> why, I don't know why people story. think it's such a big deal. Well, it's <laughs> just, no, the song, just an odd, odd choice for children. That, that theme song is the best thing about this movie. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I don't I, agree. I, I, it's, I'm with it's not good, but it's iconic. <laughs> I don't know. And this yeah. this movie, uh, this movie, uh, maybe your expectations are a little too realistic. This movie is a story about the use of story, right? How mm-hmm. stories uh, comfort yeah. us. You know, that's what this that's what this kid Bastion is looking for. He's mm-hmm. looking for you know something how to comfort imagination him. is right. I was and actually surprised at how meta this movie is. It's super meta. It's the most meta of yeah. these, of these movies. And that's, uh, for me, why it's still kind of re- relevant. Yeah, right. So, so for those of you who maybe haven't seen this movie, like the whole thing is basically there's, there's this concept of the never ending story. And so, uh, Bastion steals a book from a bookstore called the never ending story. He leaves a note. He's encouraged to steal that book. Though. Yeah. So he starts reading this book, and it's a book about this land of Fantasia that's slowly disappearing into this thing called the nothing. And there's a warrior called Atreyu who has to go out and figure out a way to stop this from happening by saving the life of the childlike empress, who basically rules Fantasia. And as Atreyu goes throughout his you know, adventures, Bastion is sitting there reading about this, and he gets more and more involved in the story. And Atreyu basically ends up failing... Uh, to find a way to save Fantasian, he goes and sees the childlike empress at the end of basically everything. And the childlike empress explains that like his journey wasn't to succeed. It was so that Bastion could go along on the journey with him and learn to love Fantasia like, you know, the inhabitants did. And Bastion's reading this as they're talking about him. And he's like, what's, what's going on? (laughs) And so like, they basically say that Bastion's the only one who can save the story. Um, But as, you know, he's watching their story. There are others watching his story and they're talking about us, the audience. And, and like, you know, when that happens, you're just like, whoa. <laughs> and, and so like the story never ends because there's like, is there someone watching us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do this podcast right now? And that's our story that they're being entertained by, you know, the aliens. Yeah. And, and, and so like, there's like this layer upon layer of storytelling that goes throughout our lives. And the only thing that can stop it is a, is a lack of imagination, much like Vader has. <laughs> so you're the nothing. Whatever. Yeah, so like that really blew my mind. When, you know, like, you know, you're watching this movie and you're like, whoa, the movie knows that we're watching it. It was the, <laughs> the first inception. Yeah. So uh, th- that was something that I always thought was really cool. And like the only thing that can ever stop your enjoyment of storytelling is a lack of imagination and st- stopping believing in the magic and the, the majesty of modern mythology and stuff like that. I think Bastion's dad was the nothing. <laughs> it could have been. <laughs> you got to keep your head out of the clouds. Yeah. You, you know, there, there, there's a... You should have focused up, okay? <laughs> there's an argument to be made that the childlike empress was the embodiment of his mother. And uh, in the book, you can only meet the childlike empress once. And so, like, the fact that, like, you know, Bastion couldn't see her again also kind of drove him to becoming a bad guy. Mm. But, um, you know, it was funny because, like, every time he made a wish in the book, he lost more and more of his memory, more and more of his I really want to read the book now. And... Uh, um, I think at the end he gets redeemed, but, um, you know, he had to basically forget everything about himself in order to um, get to the point where, you know, he had to be, become himself again. I kind of like at the end they say, so Bastion and Falcor had many more adventures and Bastion made many more wishes. And <laughs> the end. <laughs> it's like, okay. 
That's the end. <laughs> Lots of wishes. That is the end. <laughs> and then didn't they make a sequel that was terrible? Yes. Yeah. They made two they sequels. Made two. They did? Really? I don't I have not seen those. Mm-hmm. Not worth seeing. Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> Does it, it doesn't have anything to do with the book. No, they, they kind of went in their own direction. Because like like I said, the last half of the book is dark. It's like really dark. So I don't I th- I think they were like, yeah, this is a kids movie <laughs> franchise. We don't we don't want to make this like too awful. So let's go around the table and rate it. I, I'm going to go first. I love this movie. It still holds up for me. I give it four out of five Luck Dragons. Four out of five? Four out of five. That is super strong. I'm wow. super strong. Well, that's cool. <laughs> what about you, Vader? I know you. it's not uh, your fave. I'm going to keep it right at the two level. Two level? Yeah. Okay. It just, these movies did not do much for me. I, I don't even know why. I feel I feel bad about saying that, but but uh, it just is what it is. They just... I, I need to watch them again with my grandkids in the room just to see if that might change things a little bit. I think two, it probably uh, would. Two out of five childlike empresses? Uh, yeah, I guess. Okay. Fine. <laughs> JJ? You guys are terrible. I'm going to agree with that, you. With four, four out of five. I'm going to give it four out of five. You guys are both He's on, on my side. <laughs> <laughs> Crackheads. Four out, four out of five uh, quests? Four out of five childlike empresses. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was one more thing I wanted to I knew it. Uh, you can't get through it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you, you know how we talk about Kira Kurosawa on, on this podcast a lot because he was so influential in terms of like his influence on everything, every like modern filmmakers and stuff. Um, so uh, the author of the book, Michael Inde, when it got optioned to become a movie, he really lobbied for Kira Kurosawa to direct it. He was like, this is the guy I want to direct my book. Of course. <laughs> And uh, it would have been a very different movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Kurosawa. It would not have been a, ch- a children's movie. <laughs> Probably not. I feel like somebody <laughs> said, I really want Steven Spielberg to make the movie about my book. <laughs> <laughs> he used to come out of retirement. I want Tarantino <laughs> to make this children's right. movie. I figured out my wish. My wish was uh, someone turn my books into movies. Aww. That'd be nice. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm with Jude and JJ on this. This is a four out of five gourmet rock You guys situation. are all wrong. <laughs> I really enjoyed this movie. Limestone a, with a hint of quartz. Yes, it was. It was a fun watch. You know, a lot of imagination. I have some good nostalgic feelings. You know, having grown up watching this movie, so I, 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 wish, I liked it. Awesome. I wish and, Salty and, was here. And we watched it with our with our kid <laughs> yeah. as well, and he, and he really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was the best day ever. Yeah, it was fun. We were the making best memories. Day ever. All yeah. right. Well, if you need to take a potty break, now is a great time because here's a word from our sponsors. Don't listen to our sponsors. Go to the bathroom instead. (laughs) Just let it play. It doesn't matter what they're selling. (laughs) We just need the the click-throughs. That's all. (laughs) Welcome back. Say, if you need something to look at during your next potty break, why not check out our YouTube channel? You were like big on the potty breaks today. (laughs) At SomethingNerdVideo.com. Fourth potty break during the... (laughs) The next time you're on the crapper. (laughs) <laughs> Take a look at our YouTube channel at saltynerdvideo.com. <laughs> I think I'm just going to annoy Jude the rest of the show. Slam, <laughs> slam those thumbs up buttons. Or thumbs down. Sort of, yeah. I don't know how the algorithm works. <laughs> Drop a follow. <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. So, Either way, it doesn't matter. I think now is a great time to talk about our favorite Goonies. It's good enough. Yeah. So we're going to talk about... <laughs> It's good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag. Hashtag good enough. We're going to talk about the 1985 rated PG Sean Astin, Josh Brolin starring Cyndi Lauper songed classic Goonies. And hopefully you find it good enough with just us Goonies talking about it without Alex here. Because I'm both 
excited and sad to talk about this because I feel like Alex should be here for this, but I 100% know he does not want to be here for this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> He's already did his time. He hates this movie. movie. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Like, like this is, this is his stance that he has to defend more than anything. Yeah. And he compares everything that he hates against Goonies. He's like, this is a, another Goonies. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He does. <laughs> All right. So Goonies had a budget of 19 million. What do you think it brought in? Oh gosh. Initial release. 50 to 60. Okay, JJ? I'm, I'm echoing Vader here. No, you have to come up with your own guess. Okay, 72 million. <laughs> Wrong. Vader, it was $63.9 million. Hey, I got one. Yeah. <laughs> but I put like a $20, 000, $20 million range you, in there. You found the rich stuff, Vader. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay, so this came out in 1985. It was rated PG. Had a runtime of one hour, 54 minutes. Too long. So it's uh, the general synopsis is the Fratellis break their brother Jake out of jail while Mikey and the Goonies find one-eyed Willie's treasure map and decide to go on an adventure to save the Goondocks from foreclosure. So I have a question for you guys. If you were a Goonie, would you be in it for the adventure or the riches? The riches, definitely. <laughs> JJ? Oh, definitely the riches. I'm that shallow. Vader? Riches, for sure. I'd uh, make sure that the cocaine and the heroin were separated. <laughs> And that the sex gen- dungeon was locked up tight. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Come here, make me feel like a woman. <laughs> I love this movie. This is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah? I I made a mistake of watching a video. Everything gets wrong with this movie. Oh, in like no. Eight minutes. <laughs> it, there's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a perfect movie, but it's a very enjoyable movie. I love this movie. This is like the pinnacle of the, the Spielbergian, yeah. like, fantasy adventure films of the 1980s where, you know, like, like you had all these movies coming out that were kind of written by Chris Columbus and directed by, or produced by Steven Spielberg. And, um, but even, like, offshoots, like Explorers and Flight of the Navigator and stuff like that. And uh, this was like the pinnacle of that type of, of genre where like you had the kids fantasy adventure stuff. This is basically an Indiana Jones movie that's part of an ensemble of children. And there's just something about that that kind of like adventure mm-hmm. quest type movie that has like all the archetypical like like children characters that every kid can relate to at some, on some level that is just so much fun yeah. and, and so heartwarming and... I don't know. I just, I love this movie. And I love that there are several different storylines going on, but they're all intertwined. Like there's a storyline of what happened with One-Eyed Willie. He was a pirate and the story of, of what happened there. And then there's the story of the Fratellis and, and their their counterfeiter, counterfeiters and Jake's in jail. They got to break him out and then they got to be on the run and then they got to kill off anyone that gets in their way. Mm-hmm. And there's that storyline. And then there's the kids who find a treasure map and just want to go on, a, on an adventure yeah. and everything is intermingled. And I just think they did a really good job with it. And then how, how Mikey is like, you know, they have the, this, um, this group from the goondocks, they call themselves the goonies and how Mikey is like kind of obsessed with one eyed Willie. And he's just like almost praying to one eyed Willie, like guide me one eyed Willie. And then when he meets the, the skeleton of one eyed Willie, he's like, you were the first goonie. And it's just very heartfelt and, and cute. It makes absolutely no sense. Oh, shut up, okay. Vader. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part of it is that uh, of, of the movies we've discussed, this ensemble is the best mm-hmm. group of actors. Oh, for right? sure. These kids are all, I mean, they're, they're you feel like they're genuine on screen. They're not wooden at yeah. all. No. Most of which went on to have legitimate acting careers. Yeah, the, the interaction between them and just the, like, 
this is the difference between the dialogue in this movie and the dialogue in Labyrinth. Labyrinth was, here's my line. And with this movie, they're like talking over each other and mumbling stuff under each other's breath. And it just seems mm-hmm. very real. Like this, like you're just sitting back and watching a group of kids interact with each other. Well, this you're going to mention who the director is, right? Yeah. Richard yeah. Donner. But I mean, he has scenes like this. He has scenes throughout all of his movies, right? Well, he, he did all the Lethal Weapon movies, Richard Donner. He produced Lost Boys. Um, I mean, like, he, he's had a very successful career. He did the Superman movies, uh, the very first Christopher Reeve Superman. And, uh, but even in those movies, you have these messy sets where there's a bunch of people around. They're kind of all talking over each other. Right. That's kind of a Richard Donner thing, I think. I remember, I remember watching this movie and knowing that it was, you know, the guy who made Superman, the guy who's going to make Lethal Weapon movies. <laughs> just because that, that's a thing you had him. a vision of lethal weapon before it became lethal yeah yeah, yeah no, but, <laughs> well you know, done, it's if you if you watch those movies with with that idea with, with knowing who the director is you'll see it you'll see this kind of aesthetic at work right there's all these and it really works well, in well the Goonies. I, I think for goonies um so like you know he had this big ensemble of child actors and richard donner like you know when whenever the kids would get together they'd have you know, they get kind of frantic as kids do. Like they, they just get excitable. And so like Donner, instead of fighting against it, he just kind of like went with it and mm-hmm. like he would shoot multiple scenes with these kids. And I think that the dialogue kind of like sounding natural was just an extension of like, just like Donner letting the kids kind of do what kids normally do and, and getting to the point where he could capture something that was intelligible, <laughs> you know? But it is kind of funny because like every character in, in the movie is very distinct, you know, like Chunk is like the, the klutz and, and, uh, you know, the guy who tells the tall tales and, and Mouth is like the con man. And he's like, you know, the guy who's kind of vain and obsessed with his appearance. Dave and, is the terrible inventor. Yeah. And, and Mikey is he, like. What, wait, whoa. He's the awesome inventor. <laughs> all of his stuff works. Okay. All of it. He's the, the child version of uh, Randy Peltzer. He's even, got, he's even got super strong chatter teeth that like cling to rocks mm-hmm. with no surfaces to cling on to. I, I mean, <laughs> d- data, it, data is the guy that. Alex has the most problem with in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Be, because like his, he's ridiculous. His inventions just come out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Bully blinders. Yeah, yeah, like like uh, you know, Alex gets really bent out of shape every time Data whips out like a, a new Deus Ex invention. You know? Oil shoes. <laughs> Oil shoes. <laughs> Slick shoes. Yeah. The octopus was very scary. So yeah. y- you know the the woman who plays the mother, Mary Ellen uh, Trainer, I believe, Mrs. Walsh. Um, the, you know, we only see her at the beginning when she has like the cast on the hand and she's showing Rosalita around, um, Rosalita who doesn't know any English, <laughs> yeah, but yet she gets everything explained to her in English and mm-hmm. obviously understands every word. <laughs> yeah. So she, she was only 15 years older than Josh Brolin in this movie. Oh, okay. Like, like when she was cast. How old was Josh Brolin in this? I think he was like 16. All I see is young Thanos now. It's really <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs> It's like, he's going to be Thanos in a couple decades. It's going to be awesome. But the, the actress who plays Ro- Rosalita, she was fluent in both English and Spanish. And so she was the one who taught Corey Feldman how to like pronounce like his dialogue. Oh, I was wondering if Corey Feldman actually knew um, how to speak he Spanish. Didn't know, didn't know a single word of it. Oh, that's so, awesome. He so, did so good. Yeah. And that was because like he worked with her and, and she was like, okay, you say it like this. Corey Feldman. Another one of Salty's so favorites. Good in this. <laughs> yeah. Alex hates Corey Feldman. He hates him. Why? <laughs> Why? I don't know. Why would you hate know. Corey Feldman? I have no idea. Because he was he was the 80s child actor. I get it. Just as an aside, I was recently subjected to some 
of Corey Feldman's music <laughs> okay. over the last week. Well, he's dancing so, like Michael Jackson. Probably. So I get why you would hate Corey Feldman for that. But in these movies, I, I mean, like Corey Feldman w- was like a really great actor in the eighties. Um, you know, and he's kind of gone off a little bit on the deep, off the deep end recently, but you know, considering that the type of abuse he suffered when he was a kid, I guess it's kind of, you know, just a thing. Yeah, like now, every time I see Corey Feldman in anything, I think, was anybody trying to like put it in him? Yeah, <laughs> during Ew. the filming of this. He gets I, I mean, like he made a whole documentary about like yeah. you know being you know, molested as a child actor. I don't know how much of it is is true or not because you know he's kind of an unreliable source sometimes. Like I, I want to believe him, but uh, regardless of that, though, like when he, when he was this age, when he was like Goonies age. He was killing it, man. Yeah, he like, was. Like he had come off Gremlins, you know, he was in Gremlins. Um, and when you watch his performances in like Lost Boys and this movie and stuff like that, he's just so good. Is like, he? He's in Stand By Me. Yeah. If, if there was a part for a kid in the '80s, like Corey Feldman was probably <laughs> probably in it. But but he's just he, he he was like one of those child actors who was like like a Haley Joel Osment. You know, like he was just like for for whatever reason he was just like super good. But in the, but this cast everyone else keeps up with him, I think. Oh yeah. Totally. No, this was a strong cast for sure. Yeah, even the girls. Although uh what, what was the name of, of the friend, the girl um who was like a uh, sidekick girl, Steph, uh played by Martha Plimpton. Apparently, uh Martha Plimpton and Corey Feldman did not get along. Oh. Uh, they did not like They each also other. didn't get along in the sh- in the movie. <laughs> well, but it was kind of weird because like they you kind of got the sense that there's there like, a spark there. There's a spark the there. A little bit of a at romance. the end, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. But uh, the, the actors, I guess, just didn't much care for one another. Yeah. So I thought it was kind of funny. Oh, he was in Father Murphy. You know, that little house in the prairie spinoff. Oh, I, I don't know. Who? who? Who was in that? Corey Feldman. Oh. <laughs> he was in one episode. I'm looking at his IMDb. You're, are, you, are you looking for any <laughs> obscure thing that Corey Feldman has been in? Oh, he's been in a ton of stuff. <laughs> this more, was, than, uh, more than I actually realized. This was Josh Brolin's first movie. Oh. oh, that I did not know. Mm-hmm. Did he take a break for a while and like disappear for a while and then came back for, is it There Will Be Blood? Oh, no, that, that wasn't him. No. Okay. Never mind. And he was in Stand By Me. Yes. Yeah. He's That's the true. kid with the, that his father burnt his ear off. So um, apparently Steven Spielberg was actually like kind of an uncredited co-director on, on this movie. Like He was a producer, but he actually would show up and like direct a couple scenes hmm. um, that you know, while Richard Donner was doing like the A unit, Spielberg was doing the B unit type type stuff. So, like you, you know, Spielberg was kind of known for doing this. Like you guys remember the story about Poltergeist, where basically Steven Spielberg directed that whole movie, and uh, the, the I think the the director Toby Hooper was his name. Uh, he'd just be there on set and be like, "Yeah, just do, do whatever Spielberg says." <laughs> <laughs> Not quite uh, to that extent on this one because Richard Donner did you know direct a good portion of this movie, but Spielberg definitely had his fingers in it. And uh, I think my favorite thing about this movie isn't even in the movie. It's in Cindy Lauper's music video. <laughs> Did you, have, do you guys ever watch the music video? Yeah. Please? I know I've seen it. I don't remember it. So it's basically, it's got all these, at the time, WWF superstars. Um, she loved and, oh, using yeah, WWF cool. super, was, like wrestlers in her videos. Yeah, they, they, they had Captain Lou Ferrigno, and they had like the, the what was the Russian guy? Um you know, the, the big Russian wrestler. Yeah, Nikolai Volkov. Yeah, Iron Sheik. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Cindy Lauper actually was used as a sidekick valet character 
with some of these wrestlers. Yeah, on TV, on TV for a while. If uh, I remember right. Andre the Giant. Is yeah. In the video. Yeah. And uh, basically, they reenact the plot for Goonies. Um, <laughs> and and at a, at a certain point, the bad wrestlers. I, th- I even think Rowdy Roddy Piper is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bad wrestlers have like Cindy Lauper and the good wrestlers like trapped on this like weird like cave wall thing with like a waterfall and uh, and like ghost pirates and stuff like that. And Cindy Lauper just like stops the mu- music video and she's like, Steven Spielberg, can you help us out here? And it cuts to Steven Spielberg in the editing bay and he just kind of turns the camera and he's like, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm definitely like, going to have to check that yeah, out. It was, yeah. it was like such a weird like, like wall break. Do you remember that from childhood or did you watch that recently? Uh, I didn't watch it recently, but like I didn't watch it in childhood. I think like on one of my many, uh, like I think on my Goonies DVD, it's actually on there. Oh. I think that's when I, I saw it in college or something like that. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's that music video for Good Enough. And yeah. it's just like, it's a great song. And you know, I, I was like, oh, I'm going to check out the music video. And I was actually surprised at like how um, entertaining the video was. <laughs> 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 but I just love like Spielberg has just this random cameo in, in, the, in the music video. It was a lot of fun. I love this movie. I love the interaction between like all of the different characters. I love the different storylines. For me, this is a five out of five. Ed, of adventures yeah. like this is another chris columbus written spielberg movie like he did gremlins right before this and steven spielberg had this idea for goonies and he was like hey chris columbus do you want to write this this script for me and chris columbus was like yeah sure uh I, I think that was like a weird kind of like magical um team up when you had chris columbus and steven spielberg working together um but um you know i i just love these movies that have like these journeys where people keep running into like the, these fantastical like, mm-hmm. obstacles and stuff. And I can kind of agree with Alex in that like this movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. But you don't care. No. Because no. it's fun. I uh, I like this movie because when I was a kid, like all of us, we, I had this group of friends. Every weekend there was probably five to six or seven of us that always come over to my place. And we would go on all day long adventures. We'd, come over, we'd go and get on our bikes uh-huh. and we would go somewhere. And, you know, it was just, and we had forts and, and little cave places made and tree houses made and stuff on other people's properties that we made that they didn't know was there, <laughs> you know, and there was, there was like these, there was like this, uh, up in the, up in the mountains, just above our ranch, there was like this old homestead or something that some trapper or something built a hundred years ago that was all like rotting and everything. And we'd go up there and kind of use that as like a camp. You know, and, we, and we'd have these adventures and I always kind of related to the Goonies because I had my own little group that we did stuff like that in. And it was it was always fun. So I've always enjoyed this movie on that level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, JJ, did you bring a date to this one also? <laughs> no, no, actually, uh, no, I did not bring a date to this one. No. Um, and I agree with Vader that um, that uh, the charm, the the affection I still have for this movie is it's a, you know, it's a, it's a kid's fantasy come true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not supposed to be realistic. It's just realistic enough to kind of, you know, keep you engaged. Yeah. But, um, but the things that don't make sense in it, like the, you know, I mean, uh, Brant, Josh Brolin's character should be dead <laughs> oh, yeah. when yeah. he gets run off the road. Yeah. When yeah. He gets, um, 
But you you just know, given the spirit of the movie, even in that moment, and that bucket's not going to hold yeah, your weight, no. <laughs> right? So you just know that he's gonna he's gonna be fine, even though he runs him off a cliff. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. so uh, yeah. that's the you know it, it's as it's as fantastic as the never ending story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like shaking the pipes wouldn't have like a water fountain go up and down <laughs> oh, no. on the ground. There's there's yeah. so much that's wrong with this movie, but it's so much fun. That I look past all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And, I, and I don't care about that kind of stuff. You're willing to suspend because your disbelief. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, I, like I've said a million times on this podcast, I'm a visual guy. And if a movie entertains me visually like this movie does, I'm going to look past all the stupid crap. Because this is a fun movie. You know, it's, it's an adventure movie. It's like, oh, man, those pirates, they built a water slide <laughs> in, that, in that cave. And, and Chunk's you know, the real it, hero oh, of this yeah, movie. Yeah. We all know it, that, right? Yeah. Chunk? Oh, yeah. You know, she you know, risked and, life and limb. And the bone, right. the bone organ is like the coolest thing ever. And, the and he thing. tried to tell them about the bullet holes in <laughs> yep. that car. He, he's the, the one who turned movie. sloth into, yeah, yeah. into a hero. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? What? You know uh, what allegory? What? What lessons do you learn from this movie? You you got to learn piano. Yeah. Yes. Uh, always have a butterfinger or baby Ruth with you. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, but, but, you know, as, as crazy as some of the fantastical elements are in this movie, it's very grounded emotionally. Like, when the characters get serious, you feel for those characters. Like, Mikey's whole kind of speech in the well, um, you know, <laughs> even even Mouth, when he picks up, you know, that penny, he's like, well, this was my wish. Uh-huh. You know? you're, you're right. So, there are, it doesn't get sappy, right? Even when uh, there's a scene where the two brothers... Uh, are on the patio or on the are, are on their the front, mm, on like their front, front porch. yeah and it's raining and he's not so allowed to go out in the rain and his brother you know Mikey he looks over and his brother looks at him and they don't say anything they just run and hug right and yeah. it could be sappy but at the end of it he puts him in a headlock he's, he put a head on and he's dragging him around the corner you know what I mean it's so yeah, Mikey just genuine so real. right it, yeah yeah exactly that's how genuine their affection is for each other and and you know Sloth, Sloth's relationship with Chunk you know like we see like at first Chunk is terrified of this guy and then you, you realize that he's like you know the hunchback of Notre Dame he's just like misunderstood and you see this bond form between the two of them and like that's heartwarming. You know? uh, yeah, how unrealistic is it at the end of the movie? Where he says you're just gonna come live with yeah, us, yeah. right? But, you, but I absolutely believe that <laughs> Sloth is living with that absolutely. family. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And like I'm such an old lady. Like that scene in the well. The whole rest of the movie, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, those poor kids are walking around with like wet underwear and like oh. shoes. They're going on this adventure. Their clothes are all wet. But well, then, I, but then I'm still on the adventure. You know, I don't. But care. somehow they're all dry when they get on the pirate ship. Yeah. But but that that scene yeah. that scene where um, where Andy makes out with Mikey thinking that she's brand or he's brand, uh-huh. um, you, you know like I remember watching that as a kid and, and like that was my fantasy. I was like I just want a girl to like, you know, in the dark just take accidentally me make out with me, <laughs> make out with me. Yeah. <laughs> but but like like you watch that movie and like Mikey like kind of comes come stumbling out of there just like what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> I like girls now. Yeah, he, he became a man in that moment. You know? <laughs> she's such a damsel in distress the whole movie. But but she. You know, like she saved them in, in the piano uh, mm-hmm. organ part, but also like when she gets back with stuff, she's like, "Does Brant have braces?" <laughs> and Steph knows. I, I, yeah, I do Steph have one question knows. though. When when they knocked him off the cliff when he's on his bike, the girls were in the back seat of the car mm-hmm. with the bully with the bullies in it. Yeah, she explains that he he wouldn't stop look, tilting the mirror. To look yeah. down her, so she elbowed him, they, they, and, they and so they got out? they got kicked oh, out. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. didn't elbow him in the face for killing Bran. She elbowed him in the face for, for trying to look down her shirt. Yeah, look down her shirt. So those dudes just kicked him out of the car. Jerks. Okay. 
It was just the one dude. And yeah, and that's that's the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about is that when we come back to the bullies, they're just hanging out at a well. Is that a thing dudes do? No. You guys just hang out at a well? Not at all. Talking shit? I think they were drinking. Like, like it's one of those things where like, you know, the well is kind of out of the way. And so. They, yeah, they're just walking around drinking. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were, they were partying. Ah, like well, school, as a as an Oregon boy, yeah, <laughs> who grew up in Oregon, we we did not hang out at the wishing well. Mm. Drinking, well, I, I think they drinking would, our beers. They would throw their their bottles down the well <laughs> after oh. they were done to hide the evidence. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. Oh, dudes are so smart. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, you goonie. Yeah. yeah, and they didn't notice that she wasn't in that bucket. They're giggling the whole time. Like, yeah. <laughs> wow, Andy's really light. Yeah. <laughs> up and that, like, but. and like, I'm thinking to myself, like, they should make Andy go last because Troy's definitely going to leave as soon as <laughs> they get Andy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of this movie doesn't make sense. Like, for instance, did, did you guys know that uh, Fratelli is Italian for brothers? No. So it's the brothers, brothers, <laughs> translated literally, kind of like a black, know that. black noir funny. situation. The, yeah. <laughs> the the brothers gang. Yeah, I always thought the Fratellis were a little over the top. But Mother brother. That's what I like about them. Mom brother. So. Mama brother. <laughs> I had forgotten that the movie starts with him hanging. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. It starts with ostensibly a, a dead pr- body a hanging. Prison break. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. And so you like, oh. schmuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that was another thing that Alex hated. Was the jailbreak at the at the? Oh, it doesn't uh, make any sense. Oh, no. it's terrible. Yeah, it's yeah. completely unrealistic. I think we but. need to start doing some experiments with like gasoline and shooting things to see if they catch on fire. Like, can we just start shooting up cars and see what happens? Oh, people have done this. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> cars work. do not blow I up. I want when they us get shot. to do it. <laughs> us. And, and you know the the little fire fence they could have just jumped over it. Well. Would have been okay. Suspend your disbelief, Vader. <laughs> I know it, it was the '80s. You couldn't do yeah. crazy stunts yeah. like that. I used no one, to, I used no to one stuff jumps like that. in the '80s. <laughs> I used to do stuff like that on the ranch because we had. I don't know. Getting a little off the rails here, but uh, you know, we used to burn fields and stuff. So my dad had all the the flame fire <laughs> gear, right? And so I would take gasoline. I mean, this is the kind of stuff me and my friends would do. But I was just telling you about. We'd go get like cans of gas and like make gasoline fences and light them on fire and jump through them and ride our bikes over them, you know, stupid stuff like that. <laughs> and it was just, you know, I don't know how I lived half the time to be honest with you, but, uh, evil, you know, evil stuff. we, we, we made a fire fence like that one time and had like fake gladiator fights inside them <laughs> with like stick swords and stuff. I'm not even joking. I'm, you guys, you're still with us later. <laughs> it was so much fun. It's like our parents, I think my parents were bad. Do you think that you could have... <laughs> they just like, let us do all kinds of stupid bad, shit. Bad it was parents. unreal. It was like, it's like, what are you guys doing with that garbage can lid in those two by fours look, look like swords? Oh, we're going to go have flame pit gladiator fights, mom. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Have fun. Be home by it's dark. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Do you think you would have survived this adventure if you were in this movie? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Do you play the piano? I did. Yeah? I took two I years think, of lessons. I think you would have been okay. I, I, to this day, I can still play chopsticks. You, you know what a B-flat that's what, is? That's what two years... <laughs> sharp That's what two years of uh, piano lessons got me was chopsticks. <laughs> okay. Would you have survived? Well, I did have asthma when I was that age. So. <laughs> Aww, I would, I would, I've totally been Mikey. <laughs> JJ? I think so. I think... Um, come on. Everyone, all kids survive in that universe, right? That's right. <laughs> I think I would have been dead at the piano... And I, I'm not on the same page as any of you. I would have been in it for the adventure. Not See, the I, I think I would have been the, one of the Fratellis. And, <laughs> and I would have just come in after the kids had already solved the trap. 
So like I didn't have to worry about anything. <laughs> See now I'm like, thank you, Mr. Willie. Yeah, they they had like the <laughs> easiest time because they yeah. like all the kids went through the danger, and then the fertilizer would just show up and be like, oh okay, I guess it's, I guess yeah. they went this way. Booty <laughs> <laughs> traps. And you can get out of a foreclosure eviction just by flashing some precious stones. Is yeah, that- man. Yo, man, like a jewels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I think about your foreclosure papers. There'll be I'll no like, signing I like today. How the for- I like how the foreclosure guys are on the beach with the parents <laughs> and the maid. Why yeah. is the maid there? <laughs> <laughs> you're also, asking too many questions these are the wrong questions well these are the reasons salty hates this movie yeah because none of this stuff makes he's impl- sense. he's applying the wrong standard he to is this movie. That's correct what, that's what he's not suspending his disbelief exactly but also like can we talk about the fact that like the reason they're foreclosing on this is because mikey's dad didn't get his like last what is it 40 or 400 pages he said his paychecks. next 400 paychecks Okay. The, yeah. That that's not what they why they were foreclosing. So like basically this development company had been buying out all the surrounding property and they got a like city ordinance to foreclose on this area so they could build a golf course. Mm-hmm. And so the only way that they could get past the city ordinance is if the people who the property who were on the property could raise enough money to match what the developers were offering the city. And so, like, you know, that's why they said, like, if dad gets his next 400 paychecks, ah. then, then he can, like, save the goondocks. Oh, I always thought that, like, the museum stopped paying the dad, but he was still working there as a curator because he's just a nice guy. No, he, he still had his job. Just, like, everyone in, in that area of town was going to get displaced. And so, like, they were all going to get broken up and moved to different places and stuff like that. And they wouldn't have Detroit. Their, their, their little community anymore. And that, and you even see like the evil developers show up and be like, "Is your mommy or daddy home?" <laughs> you know, like I got some papers for them to sign. Um, so like it, it was just like like they're barely in in the story, but like that's just the motivation for the kids to go on this quest yep. to find the rich stuff to try mm-hmm. to save their homes. Yeah, which is it's a great motivation. It's not like they they're just in it to be like we're gonna get enough riches to do two chicks at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> they want to save their home. Uh, well, well, I'm, I'm sure they kept one stone for that purpose. <laughs> You know, at least mouth did. Hey, Mikey, why don't you come over here and make me feel like a woman? <laughs> Give me a nice wet licorice kiss. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that attic scene was great. He had the coolest attic scene. ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The attic is bigger than the whole house, I yeah. think. It's great. Yeah. it's great what movie Seth I, do. I love how the dad just takes like the museum rejects and keeps them in, in his house. You know, it's like, they didn't I'm, have I'm not room sh- in the museum. I'm not I'll sure take that, them to my attic. Not sure that's legal, but uh, whatever. <laughs> I'll go with it. Like everything in this movie, you're just like, I'll go with it. It's fun. Yeah. Where does the ship go? To the sunset. Sunset. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't Sails matter. off into the horizon. <laughs> Duh. They don't have a boat. They can go get it. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a huge well, like, artifact. W- wouldn't it be funny if the, the, if the developers took a boat out to the pirate ship and just claim the rest of the treasure? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, is any, are any of that? Like the riches from the boat, can you actually just have that? Isn't doesn't that all go to the museum? Isn't there salvage rights? There's yeah, salvage yeah. Rights. Uh, maritime salvage rights. Coast, Coast Guard went out and got it, and the government claimed it. Mm. That's what. Give I us think. back our jewels, kid. <laughs> That's a bad story. No wonder there was yeah, a Goonies two. Stupid government. They're trying. They're trying to make one. They're still trying to make a Goonies two. Yeah, with yeah, going to be I, like a, I, the Goonies Goonies kids or what? I don't yeah. know. I, I think Corey Feldman's kind of spearheading the the charge to mm. make another. Goonies. Did anybody watch their like reunions during quarantines, like their nope. Zoom reunions? No, I know there was a lot of buzz Josh about it. like people were people were excited about it, but I don't know anyone that actually watched it. There were a bunch of shows that did these kind of reunion things over yeah. Zoom, right? Yeah. So I, it just makes sense that there was a Goonies one. I just didn't see it. 
or didn't know it's out there. The the thing is, is like watching actors just get together and talk about movies they made. Isn't very interesting. Like if you had someone script out, like, you know, like a Goonies thing that the actors got on like a zoom call to like read and like, you know, kind of like like the fast times thing in their, in their characters. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably, have you seen that No. on on TikTok? Okay. So there's a bunch of actors. Um, Sean Penn is the only one who was actually in fast times, but then it's a bunch of random actors like, Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston, Shia LaBeouf, um, like a bunch of people and Sean Penn are all reenacting scenes from Fast Times at Ridgemont High on Zoom. And Shia LaBeouf is like acting his ass off. Oh, yeah, but he's completely <laughs> blasted. He's blasted. Yeah, and everyone else is just kind of like reading the lines yeah. and laughing. And Shia LaBeouf is acting. It's yeah. hilarious. Yes, yeah, I saw clips of that. So around the table, what do you, uh, what do you score this, Vader? Um, strictly on nostalgia points, I give it a three and a half. Yeah. Three and yeah. a half nostalgia points. Yeah. Okay. No, it's, it's fun. It's a good movie. I, I, I'm, I'm not ever going to just shit talk this movie cause this is a, it's a special movie to me. It's a, it's the Goonies. Man. It is. It's, it's special. It's, yeah. And you never want to be on Alex's side. <laughs> <laughs> not with this movie. I never will. No. Yeah. Cause don't, you know, don't let him be right about anything. No. I mean the other two movies we watched today, I'm okay with, but not this one. How about you, JJ? I'm giving it a five out of five. It's in my personal hall of fame. Me too. Yeah, this is definitely a like five out of five rich stuff for, <laughs> for me. Like this is a movie I could watch this movie anytime mm. and not be bored with it, not Same. not be sick of it. It's just one of those classics that like you can watch any number of times and, and enjoy it just as much as you did the first time. Yeah. And very few movies can do that. Yep. And I feel like every time I watch it, there's a different scene that becomes my favorite scene. Like sometimes it's the scene where um, Mouth is speaking in Spanish and, t- and like telling the <laughs> Rosalita like about the drugs and the sex stuff. And then sometimes it's the attic scene and then sometimes it's the adventure on the boat. Like there, there's always something additional whenever I watch this movie that I appreciate from it. It, it never gets old for me. Yeah. Like, like we said, like there, there's a lot of corny kind of stuff in this movie, but you don't mind it. You know, like it, I, for me, the most ingenious plot twist that I didn't see coming, cause we all know it's an adventure movie, right? Mm-hmm. Is the chunk sloth storyline, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Is chunk reaching out and sloth becoming a hero. That's, that's the part that's real and, genius And, you know, there, there's even, like, that weird, like, emotional, like, climax between Sloth and his mother where, like, she's trying to convince him that, like, you know, he's loved. And then he realizes all, like, the terrible stuff that she did to him. And then, like, he finally finds, like, a real family with Chunk. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, that type of thing, like, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of, like, silly and stupid. But at the same time, it's so emotionally resonant that, like, it just makes you feel good by the end of the movie that this, this poor mistreated guy who was dropped as a baby multiple times um, and chained up by his family and, and basically treated like a monster finally finds love and acceptance in, in like a real family. Well, I think part of the charm of the Goonies is they all chunks a pathological liar, right? And, <laughs> right. And he's, you know, pathologically focused on food, um, <laughs> but he's a genuinely good person. Right. And I think mm-hmm. they all pick up on that, even though they're constantly giving a hard time. It's never mean, right. They're never yeah, mean like, to like him. the Goonies are kind of a family in and of themselves. Right. And uh, you, you know, I, I think that we didn't even touch on like the one, probably the funniest part in this movie, which is where the Fratellis are interrogating Chunk, <laughs> and, 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 and they're like, "We want to know everything." He's like, "Everything." And it's like everything, and so he starts telling them everything. Every history exam in third grade. <laughs> yeah. 
And and uh, th- there's that great story he tells about uh, the prank he pulled in the theater. The fake puke. With the fake puke, which is something that Steven Spielberg actually did when he was a kid. <laughs> and then he, and he's like, and they started, everyone started puking. Barfarama. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like that whole scene, I just love. Like, like it's just so funny. Like th- there's something for everyone in this movie. Yeah. But, but it, it shouldn't work. But for some reason, like it does. Can anyone explain why the big Rube Goldberg contraption for getting the gate open exists? <laughs> is it just to make him do the truffle shuffle? I, I think that is the most unbelievable thing in this entire movie. It's not the pirate ship. It's not the adventure. So, yeah, it's, it's the not gate. The pipes. It's that gate. Yeah, exactly. You have to rely on a chicken to to lay an egg. You know, you know, you know the don't mom isn't, the egg. isn't. Was she jumping over the gate? How does she get in the house? <laughs> She's reaching over and unlatching the watch. Yeah, you, you know, like, yeah. I, I kind of take that as like. This is something Data came up with. Right. And yeah. all the kids one week and just got together and built it together. Because, like, I, I remember doing weird stuff like that with my friends where we would be out in the woods and we'd just, like, build, like, traps or something like that. So, like, I could see that being kind of, like, the backstory to it. Um, but, yeah, it, it is kind of like, – I, I think when last time we were watching this, I turned to Judah, I was like, that's the most elaborate way to open a gate I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Because, like, you have to replace the balloon. You have to make sure the chicken, yeah. you know, is getting ready to lay Well, the, the, the video I watched last night said it would only work once a day because the chicken can only lay one egg a day. So you can only admit one person to your one, house. You can only open the gate once a day. When well, the chicken lays an egg. And the, or you can just um, <laughs> slide in from the window of the, of the next door neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, if Mikey hadn't opened that door, would he have crashed through the glass and stuff? As you crash yes. through the screen, screen yes. door. You guys are getting into that, like salty, that would have been the end of the movie territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, at, we're asking the wrong questions here. <laughs> yeah. Remember when they broke the statue of David's dick off? Oh, oh that was pretty funny. It's his mom's most favorite part. Yeah. yeah. And Chunk glue. That was, it. you know, that was a little risque. Yeah. For back <laughs> that then. scene it's still just, works. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Ch- Chunk glues it on upside down. Puts it on upside down. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? It looks fine to me. <laughs> <laughs> and how like mouth is mumbling under his breath, like, under his breath after Mikey says, that's my mom's favorite part. And he's like, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't. <laughs> my yeah, gra- my grandma had Mark. a statue uh-huh. like that. <laughs> she did. She had like a statue of David with his, with his naked schlong mm-hmm. there. And I'm like, why do we have this statue, grandma? <laughs> For real. I don't know. I never understood. Yeah, also, I have like a weird shout out to Godfather's Pizza. <laughs> in that scene where um, I think it's mouth talk, uh, says something about Godfather's Pizza. And like originally there was a different pizza that was set to have like their product placement in there and at the last minute they backed out and so like they, they had to find like another person another pizza place to put in there but it's kind of funny because like if you watch the subtitles it just says instead of godfather's pizza it just says pizza <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that product placement money kind of ran out <laughs> all right well that's it for me i don't have anything else to talk about other than my my genuine love and admiration for this movie i can watch it over and over again yeah salty's crazy he, he is, is. Crazy. He, he, he has the weirdest taste in movies. <laughs> he really does. He really does. He's like, he's like Sahara is great. Yeah. But, Sahara? But the Goonies yeah, sucks. Yeah, terrible movie. Yeah, with like Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, no, I know, I know the movie. <laughs> we, we really, about, I'm not, <laughs> he sits I'm, over here and I'm we just trying to wrap like my a, head around J, how. Yeah, JJ's face right now is just like a blank slate. Yeah. <laughs> we, did, we, we did a whole. There's just question marks rising out of the top of his head. We did, we did a whole podcast on terrible movies. So Sahara was one. It was, and uh, Alex loved all of them. Yeah. yeah uh, what was it? Oh, Jupiter not, Ascending. Not, not Geely. He didn't love Geely. Yeah, and Geely. Uh, but but like Alex was sitting there, and was like, oh, like Sahara is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had so much fun watching that movie, and we're all sitting here like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> well, I think it's because he loves adventure movies, but he hates children, and that's why he hates Goonies so much. Is because the children ruin a perfectly good adventure movie for him. 
I bet if it was just Which about Fratellis, he would love it. Which is about children. Yeah. So I don't know. But it's weird because Jurassic Park, his ultimate favorite movie, has like a big children. They don't like, outsmart the adults, though. They outsmart the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> the adults can't even do that. Uh, Seen as funny I would because advise against trying to understand Alex's brain. <laughs> I, uh, th- these, these dinosaur weirdos, I, I don't understand them because the Jurassic Park franchise as a whole is very mediocre. Oh, yeah. And if you guys don't like that, you know, too bad. Uh, I'm going to hear about, I'm going to hear about that later. I know. I, am. I mean, the, the first Jurassic Park <laughs> was special because of the special effects. Yeah. But everything after that is just kind of like, eh. <laughs> Look, dinosaurs. Yeah. There's a big boat going to crash into the dock. Yeah. I mean, Jurassic World was pretty good, but Jurassic World Part 2 was a mess. <laughs> now we're going to trash dinosaur movies. Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to listen to this anyway. Salty's gonna like, He's getting extra to, salty. You have to edit that part out of the show. No. Yeah, Alex is like, I'm not even no. in this episode. Why am I going to bother listening to <laughs> exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. Jurassic Park movies are fun. They're fun. All right. Well, let's go around the table and tell everybody where you can find you, Matt. Uh, you can find me at Matt Vader 74 um, all over the place now. Uh, Twitter. He's everywhere. <laughs> uh, Twitch. Twitch. Uh, Instagram. He sees you when you're Mines, sleeping. Gab. I don't know. I don't even use half of those things very much right now, but we're looking for different options for sure. Okay. But uh, all over the place out there. Just type in Matt Vader 74 and I'll be there. All right. JJ. Oh, you can find me at my coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> Grouchy, Grouchy John's Coffee Shop. That's uh, That's where I am. Yeah, Grouchy John sponsored the beverages uh, for today's podcast. JJ is our resident caffeine dealer. That's right. (laughs) And uh, the the podcast actually started at Grouchy John. Yes, it did. The coffee shop where we would all get together and basically just talk about movies like we do here on the podcast. It's a very nerd friendly environment. It It very much is. It really is. Very eclectic uh, decorations and stuff like that. It's a great place to hang out, especially if you're a Las Vegas local. Go check out Grouchy John's. Kadish, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Matthew Kadish, K-A-D-I-S-H. And they can also find me on Amazon at KadishBooks.com. And you can find me at IamJuJuju on Instagram and Twitter. And that's it for us today, guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah, and screw salty. <laughs> <laughs>